Chapter 3. You Aren't Your Only Sin I stepped out the front door of her building, onto the corner of Denny and Summit, the raindrops punching holes in my head. I lit a cigarette, yawned deeply, and raised a middle finger to the sky, the way I started every waking morning. My feet began to move against my wishes. For the last two mornings, I had made the trek to the King County Detox, knowing damn well I would never get in. In order to be accepted to the facility, you need to arrive as early in the morning as possible. First come, first serve. Since most of the clients are homeless alcoholics and drug addicts, they set up camp on the front steps the night before, leaving us employed junkies and drunks with busy social schedules, little or no chance to make the cut. Imagine my heartbreak. There were, believe it or not, a good-sized throng of people interested in my well-being. Oh, not my family. They were thousands of miles away and oblivious to everything. And no, not my co-workers. They were just glad I showed up so they didn't have to deal with the cavalcade of scum that came through the shop while they were comfortably tucked away in their beds. No, it was my friends, my misguided and often fucked-up-themselves friends. They worried about me. They loved me. I guess there's no accounting for taste. My current situation could have been worse, I suppose. I could easily have regained consciousness in Kent or Bellevue or some other hellish suburb that would require a humiliating trek back on public transportation. But instead, I was afforded a leisurely escape on foot, having had the luck, dumb or otherwise, to have come back to life in my own neighborhood. In a few minutes, I would be sitting in the waiting room of the detox center. After a couple of hours, they would read off the names of the newly accepted patients. I would feign disappointment and be on my merry way. We were in the middle of a month-long run of overcast days, the kind of days that made everyone else shudder but made me feel alive. This is the time of year I walked out of the shop after an eight-hour shift of selling raunchy periodicals and masturbation accessories not to the sunny beginnings of a brand new day, but to a city still cloaked in darkness. The sun, if it decided to come out at all, was barely peeking over the horizon by the time I crawled into bed, and by the time my alarm went off at 4.30 in the afternoon, it was all but gone. It was beautiful. I preferred the gloom. I suppose I could blame my lifelong obsession with horror movies, or my fair skin, or the fact that my pupils were pinned most of the time. But the truth is, I'm from Arizona, and I don't care if I ever see the sun again. There's something about this weather that compels men to use drop-D tuning on their guitars, the ladies to wear overalls, and the whole damn city to throw themselves off the tallest landmarks they can find. Apparently, the same clouds that I adored for shielding me from God's prying eyes and the drizzle that rinsed my filth away had the opposite effect on other folks. The city personally greeted me with two hours of gridlock traffic the day I arrived in my beat-up Chevy van, with nothing but two trash bags full of clothes, as some poor soul considered to be or not to be from high atop the Aurora Bridge. Nowadays, the corporate home of a major software company is located underneath this same bridge. And while most jumpers hit the water about a half dozen times a year, the employees arrive in the morning to witness a truly gruesome display of human desperation in their parking lot.
As I walked, my mind raced. I tried to piece together the night before. Pussy Galore played at the Vogue, and the place was packed. I remembered avoiding the hateful gaze of my old girlfriend. I remembered standing next to my friend Chris Pugh as the band played. He was strategically standing where he could see the stage and peer into the ladies' room. He was a first-rate deviant. I remembered being clever and charming as I sweet-talked the girl I woke up with that morning. I remembered her cleavage in her lips as she spoke to me, but I would have had a hard time picking her out of a police lineup. I remembered stumbling into a convenience store with her to purchase condoms. With her draped over my shoulder, we stood in front of the tiny section of toiletries. Where's the goddamn rubbers? She called to the annoyed cashier. In his thick East Indian accent, he pointed to the shelf. Can't you see? Straight in front of you. Reaching for the box, she fired back. If I could see straight, do you think I'd be fucking him? My very cells protested as I neared my destination. They reminded me that in a couple of hours, we'd be sick as a fucking dog. They called me weak and worthless. Let's go, man. We've got 30 or 40 bucks from that chick. Wouldn't we rather go home and get loaded? We deserve it. They told me to face facts. I was a liar and a fraud. Who do we think we were fooling? We weren't the slightest bit interested in getting clean. We were just tired of the abscesses on our arms and the judgmental looks from old ladies and our negative bank balance. We just didn't want to hear another exhausted sigh from our landlord because he had had it up to here with our erratic behavior. We just wanted our friends to stop accusing us of stealing the records, which of course we had done but would never admit to. We just wanted our girlfriend to stop threatening to move out even though she's no fucking angel herself. We just didn't like the monster we were becoming. We just wanted to get high. I grabbed a place in line and exchanged good morning nods with a new lineup of degenerate hopefuls. I squatted down and leaned against the brick wall to blend in with my fellow dirt, broken glass, and grimy brethren. I was about a dozen people deep in a lineup 35 or so. The building was painted that awful beige color. I imagined there was a government warehouse with cans of it stacked to the ceiling, just waiting for the next time the DMV or some low-income child care facility needed another coat. I watched a couple of crows peck away at the smashed corpse of an unlucky squirrel that didn't quite make it across the street. I thought about how this sight should have made me ill, but only reminded me of the frozen macaroni and cheese I had waiting for me at home. As we were corralled into the waiting room, we were each handed a clipboard with a tiny erasureless pencil attached by a string. Have a seat and fill out the questionnaire, the attractive black woman with a blue lab coat instructed us. I had spent the last couple of mornings ogling her over the pages of the same three-year-old People magazine I had stashed under what I considered to be my seat, the one in the farthest corner from the desk. She recognized me and we exchanged pleasant good mornings. As culturally diverse as my neighborhood was, you couldn't exactly call it ethnically so. Unless, of course, you were sitting in the waiting room of the King County Detox Center. Only here was I a minority. As a group, we were Native American, African American, and Latino, with a sprinkling of whitey. We were all ages and both sexes, but mostly male, with several of questionable orientation. We had two things in common. We were poor and we were fucked up. Patient name, Charles M. Hyatt. 
Date, October 21st, 1990. Age, 28. Address, 906 East John Street, apartment 311, Seattle. Occupation, bookstore manager. Marital status, single. Ethnicity, white. Substance, heroin. Level of recent use, heavy. Treatment history, none. Main motivating force at time of admit, none. I filled out the rest, just as I had in the days before, then signed at the bottom, underneath the ominous statement. The below signed agrees to stay under the care of the King County Detox Center for a minimum of 72 hours. As I approached the young lady's desk to drop off my paperwork, I noticed a tattooed name. There was something naughty and subversive that I could work with. All I needed to do now was strike up a conversation. So, why do you work here? I asked. I don't know, her mind calculating. About seven months or so? No, no. Why do you work here? I suppose I started working in this field because I lost my sister to this disease. I paused for a moment to give her a chance to clarify. I must have looked puzzled because she went on to explain. You know, alcoholism. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm here for drugs. I see that, she said, eyeballing my clipboard. But the truth is, I was just raised wrong. You'd better have a seat, sugar, or the other patients will think I'm playing favorites. <laughs>